Thank you very much, Sandy. Good morning, all. It is just so good to be back with you again. And thank you so much, yes, for your, your love and kindness and goodness and encouragement over the years. And again this morning, just be welcomed so, so warmly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this is a very special day for those who know and love our Lord Jesus all over the world. We rejoice in victory over sin, in victory over death, in victory over all the enemy would do to destroy human life and prevent us from knowing you, the living God. And we thank you for all that was achieved when our Lord Jesus died and was raised again. And so we ask now for the help of your Holy Spirit, for all of us, especially for me, as we seek to just understand more fully what the implications are of having a risen and reigning Lord. Thank you, Father. Now we're going to read quite a bit of scripture to start with, and maybe more scripture and less preaching. That might be the order of the day, I don't know, we'll see. I'm going to read first of all in John chapter 20 the difficulty in trying to put together the sequence of the events recorded because all four gospel writers record the resurrection of the dead, of the Lord. And it seems to me, I learned this many years ago from a book I used to have, that the clue is in the timing. And at first, uh, in terms of timing, comes in John's Gospel, and here it is. John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, aha, that's the clue, Mary of Magdala went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw, and he believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now it seems clear that though he hadn't yet seen the Lord, hadn't spoken with the Lord, John was the first to know that Jesus was alive. How do we conclude that? Because John himself tells us in writing the story that he saw the evidence and believed. Now the evidence did not just consist of no Jesus. The evidence consisted of the cloth that had been around his head neatly folded and the linen strips of linen lying there. Would anyone stealing the body, friend or foe, have taken time to fold the cloth around the head of Jesus? I don't think so. And John was convinced when he saw the state of these grave clothes that the body of Jesus had not been stolen. 
Jesus, in fact, had left his headcloth neatly folded and had gone. He was still alive. Let's read on. And the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she went over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He obviously looked somewhat different in his resurrection body. She did not realise it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Immediately she recognised that familiar voice. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father, but go and say to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary of Magdala went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. She told them that he said these things to her. So John was the first to know that Jesus was alive, and Mary was the first to actually see him and speak with him. Now let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because there we have from the Apostle Paul the longest chapter in the whole of the New Testament, and it's all about resurrection. First of all, about the resurrection of Jesus, and then about our resurrection. So, John chapter 15, verse 1. Now, brothers, he writes, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. But what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. The language used to describe the death of a Christian. Then he appeared to James, then to the, all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born having appeared to Saul, of course, quite a long time after. For I, says Paul, and the least of the apostles, and don't deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Then he goes on to speak about a rumour that was spreading in Corinth that there was no such thing as resurrection. So he says, Evidence preached that Christ has been raised from the dead. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. 
More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But, but, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. I want to begin by pointing out to you that while we're told in other places in Scripture that the Lord is risen, in this chapter you'll notice that Paul doesn't say the Lord has risen. He says the Lord has been raised. In other words, he didn't raise himself. The Father raised him. Well, what's the difference? Is there any difference? Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. The Father raised him. Do you remember what the Father said when Jesus was baptised? He said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Hmm. And then later, when James and Peter and John were up on the mountain and the Lord appeared to them, well, the, the Lord spoke to them, but first of all, Elijah and, and Moses appeared to them. An extraordinary experience. They appeared supernaturally, years and years, centuries after they died. And then the Father spoke, repeating exactly the same words he said at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So, what is happening when Father raises Son the resurrection? The same thing is happening without words. I love this. Without uttering a single word. The father raises his son from the dead and is saying without using a single word, this is my son whom I love. And you know what? I'm thrilled with him. I'm well pleased with him. He has carried out his mission to the earth. He has suffered for the sins of the world. He has done the thing that had to be done to secure salvation. Isn't that wonderful? God was speaking his approval without words, raising his son from the dead. And Jesus has been gloriously alive ever since. Yes, this 1 Corinthians 15 is the longest chapter in the New Testament, and actually the teaching in the New Testament there's just, just about more teaching on the resurrection than about anything else except the death of Jesus. That's highly significant. And as Paul writes to these Christians in Corinth, he says, What I received I passed on to you through his preaching the gospel there of as of first importance Get this wrong and everything else is wrong. This is of first importance. The death of Jesus for our sins and, and his being raised again from the dead. Let's think for a moment about the importance of it. What has, been, what has resulted from it? Well, number one, the destruction of death. You remember in writing the Roman Christians, Paul wrote, the wages of sin is death. There's always a consequence of sin and that consequence is death. And of course, at the heart of death, there's always the same thing. At the heart of death is separation. We lose loved ones, and we are temporarily, for the Christian, separated from them. Always separation follows sin and death. 
is there. That's, that's what this is all about, partly all about. If we go over for a moment to Hebrews chapter 9, we find the writer there writing to Christian believers and speaking about the Lord Jesus and saying this in Hebrews chapter 9 at verse 26. He's speaking about Jesus and he says, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once, that's an important part of scripture, what does it say to us? It says to us there is no such thing as reincarnation. It is all just pure rubbish. Talk about reincarnation. Jesus has died once and we will die once. Just as man is destined to die once. And after that, oh, after that, to face judgment. Now the Bible tells us that both for Christians and non-Christians there is judgment to face in the future. Two different judgments. The judgment for the Christian is more a kind of prize giving when certain rewards will be allocated to those who have served the Lord well and lovingly and so on. The judgment for the unbeliever will be fearful and culminate in permanent separation from God. If we go back to Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, this may just have been the last letter the Apostle Paul ever wrote, and he's writing about Jesus and he says to this young pastor in Ephesus, Timothy, he speaks about God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, listen, 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 who has destroyed death. He has destroyed death as it used to be. Oh, that's good news. And has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, prior to death being destroyed by Jesus, death was an enemy. And Jesus has turned it into a friend for the believer. Brought life and immortality to light. And there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the second part of that chapter, which is about our resurrection, away in verse 55, Paul quotes from the Old Testament, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, because he has dealt with sin, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So victory over death and victory over sin belong together. It's all victory. Bible says we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's tremendous news, isn't it? So, the importance of the resurrection of Jesus, first of all, it achieved the destruction of death. And secondly, it achieved the defeat of Satan. In Hebrews again, chapter 2 this time, verse 14, we find the writer saying, since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, also shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. 
So the Bible tells us that Jesus, by his death and resurrection, destroyed death and destroyed Satan. There are two other different destructions. The destruction of Satan is not total in a sense. He's been robbed of his power. He is still given a limited amount of freedom, strictly under God's control. Satan can only do what God allows him to do now. But he has been robbed of his ultimate power. Because, you see, sin has been dealt with. It is sin that gives Satan power over us. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He loves going around accusing people, especially Christians who have backslidden, who have turned away from the Lord in some, for some reason or other. And he, he loves accusing them and saying, you know, what some Christian you are, you're supposed to be forgiven. You're sinning, you're sinning, you're sinning, making them feel ashamed and all the rest. Rob Satan of his power is a very different enemy, one over whom the Christian has authority. That is further emphasised in Colossians chapter 2, where Paul writes to the Christians in this place called Colossae, and he says in verse 2.13, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. They'd come to Jesus, they were made alive in Jesus. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code of this regulations that was against us, and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, kneeling into the cross, and having disarmed, oh, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In other words, the servants of Satan, all his legions of demonic beings, are soldiers without weapons now, in a sense. He disarmed the powers and authorities. I love J.B. Phillips' paraphrase, it was written many years ago in that passage, when it says that the Lord Jesus, in his final glorious triumphant act, robbed those people and left them shattered, empty and defeated. Satan is a defeated foe. Death is not something for the Christian to fear. It is a gateway to a fuller life. So, the victory of Jesus by his death on the cross and his resurrection secured the destruction of death and the defeat of Satan. But of course it also, it also, and very, very importantly, secured the deliverance of sinners. That's why we're here this morning. Because we have met the risen Lord. He has saved us from our sins. We are new in him. We're alive in him. We love him. He loves us. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Before this baby was born, remember, it was prophesied what he would do. The prophecy is really not the right word to use, but you remember Joseph before he when he heard that his wife was expecting a baby but she wasn't his wife yet they hadn't even got married yet and there's no reason why she shouldn't be having a baby and an angel appeared to him in a dream assuring him that he was perfectly safe to go ahead and marry Mary all was well she was bearing a child conceived by the Holy Spirit and this child was to be given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 18, <coughs> what does Peter say there? He says this. He says, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He died for sins once for all, 
to bring us to God. So, this deliverance of the Christian is available. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, reminds us of the future. We're all facing a future. Every day we continue living. And what does that future hold? It says here, concerning our Lord Jesus, because Jesus lives forever, because he was raised from the dead, because he is alive forevermore, he has a permanent priesthood. He's now our great high priest in heaven. He prays for us. He prays for us. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us. He's not inactive. He's active on the earth by his spirit. He's active in person in heaven, praying for you and for me. Isn't that glorious? We have a risen living Lord was alive forevermore and he has secured the destruction of death the defeat of Satan and the deliverance of sinners now we can pause for a moment just to think about the evidence of and for resurrection there's loads of evidence, there's heaps of evidence in 1 Corinthians 15 which we read, Paul says what I received I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures was rebellious, was raised from the dead the third day according to the scriptures and he appeared to Peter first of all to Peter in this list and then to the twelve after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. That's an awful lot of evidence. 500 people at once, in one gathering, seeing the risen Lord. He appeared to them. That's what the Bible tells us. And then he appeared to James. Then, says Paul, he appeared also to me. Well, that was much later, of course. A different experience, a different timing altogether. So the evidence is there. And if we go to Acts chapter 1... We find there further evidence. Luke, who wrote the third gospel, also wrote the book of Acts, and he says here in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until he was taken up to heaven, giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen after his suffering. Now, here it is. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive you and I praise God are not like some people who profess to be Christians and don't believe the Bible we believe the Bible yes, amen, amen. and because we believe the Bible we know that what's in the Bible is true and here is the Bible telling us here is Luke telling us that Jesus appeared to a great many people showing he was alive and he gave them many convincing proofs end of argument Jesus is alive don't try and tell me otherwise because I believe the word of God and I know he doesn't lie so the evidence without going into any more detail at all the evidence is there it's reckoned that about 10 different individuals or groups of people uh, had an experience and appearance of Jesus with some he had food with some he had a talk with some maybe they saw him but the evidence is totally overwhelming and convincing you see when you think of it most of us perhaps here today have been brought up in Christian circles we've known from our childhood perhaps that 
the gospel is telling us about Jesus the son of God coming to die for our sins and be raised again from the dead and we've grown up with that understanding but just imagine imagine death without any resurrection it's unthinkable it's intolerable can it be that God would have created human beings like us with bodies that are intricately designed to last for a long time and do a lot of work and from minds that are capable of the most extraordinary understanding of things the abilities God has given us physically and mentally are incredible did God give human beings all that apparatus just so at the end of the day we could be thrown into a box and thrown into a grave left to rot it's unthinkable God doesn't do these kind of things he designed us for life not death ah yes the importance of the resurrection the evidence of the resurrection and we've touched on this already the consequence of it well the consequence first of all is salvation for us now salvation available now if we go back to Acts 4 for a minute Jesus has been raised from the dead and by this time he has returned to heaven the Holy Spirit has been poured out at Pentecost and the young church is beginning to grow and the authorities first of all when they got Jesus nailed to a cross were rubbing their hands with glee saying we've got rid of that troublemaker at last he'll not give us any bother again wrong first of all God raised him from the dead but then one more evidence of the fact that Jesus really was alive after he rose from the dead and really met with these people who loved him and knew him the evidence is that he transformed their lives the early Christians were willing to suffer and die and be thrown to the lions rather than deny Jesus that's a very strong evidence that they themselves had been transformed they were cowards when Jesus was being crucified most of them ran away but after Jesus was raised from the dead you couldn't shut them up and of course they caused havoc in Jerusalem because Acts 4 tells us that the apostles Peter and John went around Jerusalem talking about the resurrection of Jesus and these authorities who hated Jesus and wanted rid of him for good and forever were angry and displeased and they arrested Peter and John and locked them up for the night called them the next morning to court and questioned them of course the questioning first of all began with questioning about the healing of a cripple who had been crippled for 40 years and he'd be healed instantly by Peter and John and this wasn't the kind of thing the enemies of Jesus wanted to see and so they questioned him what was the explanation of this and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them rulers and elders of the people if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed then know this you and everyone else in Israel it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead this man stands before you completely healed salvation is found in no one else that's true salvation is not available anywhere else on the face of the earth or through any other person but it's freely and gloriously available in the Lord Jesus Christ he is more than willing to save sinners who turn to him in repentance and faith and Peter and John and Peter would be doing the speaking over there um, he was uh, he 
emphasized that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We may be saved, yes, but we also must be saved to have peace with God, to know eternal life, and to live out our life on this earth and then go home to glory to be with the Lord. We must be saved, just as we must be born again. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome and early in his letter he said that he was very bold and proud of the gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel that God has given us to preach and called us to preach and called us to talk about to those who are not Christians, it's dynamite. You and I know that because we've been saved by this gospel. It's not another fairy story. It's not something that's half true and half false. It's absolute truth. And it's life-changing truth. I wouldn't be preaching like this today if it wasn't life-changing truth. I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd probably be dead. (laughs) (laughs) Salvation now. Yes, amen. But there's more. Aha, we're not finished. Resurrection later. Salvation now. Resurrection later. Because, you see, uh, Paul goes on in the second half of that chapter of 1 Corinthians to speak about our resurrection. It's, it's, it's in the diary. It's coming later on. <laughs> it's on the calendar. It's coming. It's waiting for us. 1 Peter 1, verse... Well, he begins, Peter, Peter begins his first letter uh, on a triumphant note. And, uh, well, he, he had reason to be triumphant because the Lord had saved him and used him in wonderful ways to bless many people. And Peter begins his letter by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance it can never perish spoil or fade kept in heaven for you so when we come to Jesus when we come to Jesus we experience new birth God doesn't patch up broken sinful people he gives us a complete new life if anybody is in Christ says Paul he or she is a new creation the old things old things have passed away And so we find as we're born again and begin this new life with Jesus, we have a living hope through his resurrection. We know ours is going to fall. The unbeliever, the Bible tells us the unbeliever has no hope. It's pretty grim being a non-Christian, isn't it? It really is pretty grim being a non-Christian. You have no forgiveness of sin, you have no peace with God, and you have no hope for the future. No hope of eternal salvation. Sorry, not available. One more scripture I want to bring to you, and we're through. This glorious prospect of future resurrection. There's a chapter I, I haven't looked at with you so far, um, and uh, it's First Thessalonians chapter 4. I've preached in this chapter many, many times over the years. Where in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes to Christians, Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. That is the Christian terminology for the death of the believer. 
You see, a cemetery is a sleeping place. The Greek word koimeterion from British comes the English word cemetery. means a sleeping place. And that's the, the, the language. It's lovely that we're not, we're not... Unbelievers die. We fall asleep in Jesus. Join to Jesus, the living Lord. Here we are. I don't want to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left for the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, himself, will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. I think I may have told you before, on the occasion many years ago, when I was taking a funeral, uh, having been in the funeral parlour, had a service there, I was in the... uh, limousine car that was taking the family to the cemetery and I went in the front and said the driver and talked to the driver uh, first of all the driver got a bit of a shock because it was a strong Christian family who had lost one of their number and instead of being all tearful and sad in the back seat of the car they began to sing how great thou art and the, the, the driver wasn't used to this kind of thing borderless bursting forth with joyful song huh? so as we drove into the cemetery I said to him they're kind of quiet places these cemeteries aren't they he said aye aye that's right they're, they're quiet places right enough he says I said you know what there's a day coming in the future when these places are going to be the noisiest places in town because Jesus is coming back and we're going to be raised the dead are going to be raised these graves are going to be open we're going to be alive with new bodies oh we give you a very strange look (laughs) (laughs) and there's a pastor like that in this crowd before I don't think so anyway glorious truth glorious facts glorious Lord alive forevermore I love that Revelation chapter 1 where the Apostle John is on this lonely rock island of Patmos and he has this wonderful revelation of Jesus the Lord comes to him and says yes it's true I was dead but I'm alive forevermore let's pray Father we come to you conscious we live out our lives in a world where death is all around us It's not just that plants and animals die, but precious human beings die too. And we know that daily in our news bulletins, we hear of more and more destruction of human lives, put to death. (coughs) Father, we thank you that whether we live to see the return of Jesus to this planet, or whether we go to heaven first, we know that when he comes again and touches down on planet Earth, we will be raised. And we thank you for that glorious prospect. It's beyond our ability to imagine the detail, the wonder, the glory of it. But we can anticipate it with keen, eager faith. Because we know it is bound to happen. You have promised it and you will deliver it. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.